down a lot so much recently. And the first thing I'd like to say while I'm up here is thank you and well done to all of the children who were in the nativity. I'm sure it was hours of practicing. Yeah, why not? Let's give them another round of applause. Yeah, very good. Well done for being brave enough to come up on stage in front of everybody. It's all over now. If you were nervous before, you can relax. It's okay. It's all finished. Uh, well done for singing and learning your lines and the actions and getting all the timings right and everything and all of those kind of things. But also, I'd like to say thank you to any of the grown-ups as well who, uh, who helped with it, um, whether you were um, helping children get ready into costumes or helping them practice their lines, setting up the stage, playing music, anything like that. Um, thank you to all of the grown-ups. And I get a moment now to talk about a part of the story, and in particular, the people in the story that I think we should be all be the most grateful to. And that is the wise men, or the magi. Now, there's lots that I don't know about the, the, the magi or the wise men, because the Bible doesn't tell us. I don't know their names. Seems like quite an important thing to, to know about somebody, doesn't it? But the Bible doesn't tell us their names, so I can't tell you that. And I don't know where they came from. I know they came from a place somewhere far to the east of Israel. And I guess you could look on your globe, couldn't you, and your map and, and look east of Israel and try and work out where was it, where did they come from, look at the different countries. Well, I think it was from there or there. But I don't know. I can't tell you. I can't even tell you how many of them there were. Um, I know, of course, that they brought three gifts, but who knows? Uh, maybe there were more. Maybe there were loads of wise men, these magi that came to see Jesus. But what I do know, and this is the reason that uh, I think we should all be grateful and thankful to the wise men, is that they were the ones who introduced presents to Christmas. They were the ones who introduced presents to Christmas. They traveled their long journey from this distant eastern country, wherever it was, bringing with them three very special gifts. And who knows, if it wasn't for them, maybe none of us would have presents at Christmas. Maybe it's, uh, it's all thanks to them that we get to unwrap our things on Christmas morning. Now, um, uh, what I want to do um, is I want to ask you, what kind of present giver are you? Now, I'm not asking you what kind of present receiver you are, because I'm sure you're all very, you know, very thankful, very appreciative. You know, um, you make sure you say a great big thank you, and you, you spend hours writing your thank you cards on Boxing Day to all of your aunties and uncles and grannies and granddads and all of those things. When you get a Christmas card with some money in it, you even pretend not to notice the money until you've re finished reading the card. And then, oh, there, there's some money as well. Thank you very much. I'm sure you're very good at receiving presents. But all I want to ask you is, what kind of present giver are you? I suspect there's, there's two different types of present giver, okay? And I guess a spectrum in between those two extremes. One extreme is the mega-organized, uh, really thoughtful present giver um, who's planned it all out since the middle of October. Um, they've, uh, they've done all of their online shopping. They've got everything they need well in advance. And they make sure that they get the perfect gift for the perfect uh, person. They make sure they get somebody a gift that is going to be just right for them. You know, I've got grandma, uh, a jumper that she's just going to love, and I've got my sister this because I know she's really going to like it, and it's all perfect. 
at the other end of the of the spectrum, um, and this is where I am. Um, we're a lot more last minute. Um, uh, yeah, it kind of gets put off until a few days before Christmas, and then you're in a bit of a panic trying to work out, well, what am I going to get this person? Uh, I just need to get them anything, and you're kind of frantically looking on the internet or wandering around the shops thinking, I just need to get anything. At this point, it doesn't even matter what it is. I just need to find something to get for my brother or my sister or whoever it is. Um, my wife, uh, Abby, she sat over there. She told me yesterday that she has now finished getting all of our presents for Christmas, um, which I'm very impressed with because she's in charge of getting all of our presents. The only presents I have to get are her presents. And she's finished all of everybody's presents, um, and I've not yet got anything as her present. So it tells you which uh, end of the spectrum each of us are. My one responsibility, I need to get it sorted before Christmas, and I will. Okay. Well, let me tell you, the wise men, they were, well, they were more like Abby. They were absolutely brilliant at buying presents. They made sure that they got the perfect gifts. They weren't just kind of frantically going up and down the, the middle aisle in Aldi the day before they arrived at Bethlehem looking for something, anything they could get for Jesus. No, no. They knew exactly what they were bringing. And actually, the thing about a good present is it tells you something about the person who receives the present. Now, I imagine um, if I was to... Um, I was going to say if I was to put cameras in your house, but that sounds a bit creepy, so I won't say that. If you were to invite me to your house, okay, on Christmas morning, and let me watch you open all of your presents, uh, I think I'd be able to work out something about you. If somebody, if all of the presents that you were opening were all um, uh, books, and everybody's bought you books, then I'd be able to guess that you're probably quite a, um, you know, quite an imaginative person, you've got a good imagination, or maybe you really like learning, or something like that. I could tell that from the presents that you receive. Or on Christmas morning, if all of your presents have got Leeds United badges on them, and that's what everybody's got you, I could probably tell that you're very intelligent uh, and very wise and very good looking and all of those kind of things. I could tell something about you from the presents that you receive. And you know, when the wise men brought their presents for Jesus, they brought the perfect presents for him which reveal really important and specific things about the one who received them, the baby Jesus. Now, the wise men have very kindly let me borrow their, their real presents that they brought, so I've got them down here. And all I want to do now is talk through these presents one at a time, because these presents reveal that Jesus received, they reveal who he is and why he was on earth in the first place. Now, the first one is gold. So here we are. We've got our gold that uh, the wise men gave to Jesus. There we are. It opens that way. Um, I don't know. Did they bring gold coins? Was it gold bars? Was it a golden kind of treasure chest like this? Um, I don't know what it was. But I do know that gold is for kings. Okay. Gold is for kings. I suppose gold isn't as rare or as precious now as it was then, but we still understand this. Some of you have probably got gold in your ears or on your wrists or something even at the moment. I don't know. Uh, but think back 2,000 years. Gold, especially back then, incredibly precious. And even today, we still understand that gold is for kings. Think back 
what is it, seven months, eight months, something like that, um, to the king's coronation in this country. And do you remember King Charles arriving for his coronation in his golden carriage, and he, or a coach, or whatever it's called? I think, is it a gift? I can't remember. Was it a gift from the people of Australia or something? I can't remember. But I think he, I remember uh, reading at the time, it's very uncomfortable. And he arrived in this uh, golden carriage. And then in the ceremony, he had that golden crown on his head. And he wore his golden coat and his golden robe with its golden clasp. And he held the golden scepter and the golden orb. And I can't remember what they're even supposed to mean, but uh, it was gold, 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 because gold is for kings. And when the wise men gave Jesus their gold, whether it was coins or bars or chests or whatever it was, they acknowledged that Jesus is the one true king. I think we understand that there can only be one true king. On the day of the coronation, there was a coronation happening in London, that's where King Charles was. There wasn't one happening in Leeds as well. And there's another coronation going on in, in Birmingham and Manchester or in Edinburgh and all these other places. No, there's only one. There can only be one king. And the claim that the Bible makes is that Jesus is the one true king. He is the king of kings, the king of King Charles, the king of, um, yeah, whatever the king of Spain is called, the king of, the king of all of the earthly kings. There is one true king, and Jesus is king over them all. The wise men knew that, and they gave him gold. Now, uh, this is where the presents start to get a little bit more unusual, okay? Because the next present that the wise men gave to Jesus... I'm sure it looked exactly like this, was frankincense. Frankincense. Now, we're getting into the territory now where I must tell you not to give these things as presents to babies that are born in your family or, you know, in your growth group or something like that. Um, don't turn up with frankincense um, uh, for your new baby on your street or anything like that. But frankincense, well, it's, it's incense. I guess you could think of it as a little bit like a scented candle. That's a good idea for a present, a scented candle. Maybe, Abby, maybe I should get you one of those, actually. I'll get that next week. Um, uh, a little, but you, you burn it, and it releases a, um, a fragrant scent, a nice smell. Um, uh, and yeah, I guess a bit like a scented candle. You, you, you light it, you burn it, and the smell comes up. And in the Bible, incense was burned as an offering to God. Now, it's almost the Christmas holidays, but I'm going to give you some homework, okay? Your homework is to go and read in the Bible Exodus chapter 30. Because I think Exodus chapter 30 is the key to understanding the gift of frankincense that the, uh, that the wise men gave. In Exodus chapter 30, um, God is giving instructions for his house, basically, his tabernacle, uh, his living place that he's going to reside in with the people. And one of the things that was very specifically instructed for the people to build was an altar for incense and as part of God's instructions for his house for his living place where he was going to dwell with the people every morning and every evening the high priest had to go in and burn incense on the altar of incense as an offering to God so we need to understand that incense is the gift given to God and in particular keep reading Exodus 30 until you come across frankincense because God gave instructions for a very specific type of incense. I guess his favorite scented candle. Uh, a very specific type of incense. And he gave the ingredients, one of which is frankincense. And he said, hey, listen, 
the only thing that you're allowed to use this special blend of incense for is for worshipping me. You're not allowed to take it home with you. You're not allowed to burn it in your living room. You're not allowed to do anything like that. This special type of incense, which has frankincense in it, that is only for me. You only use this for me. And what do the wise men do? They turn up to Jesus and give him frankincense. They give him the gift, the offering, you can only give to God. I think they knew exactly what they were doing. They knew somehow from reading the scriptures, from what, however they worked it out, they knew Jesus was God made flesh. All of the power, all of the wisdom, all of the infinity of God made flesh. And that's what we are, aren't we? We're flesh, we're skin and bones. And that is what God became, what God made himself at Christmas. That hymn we just sang um, in the bleak midwinter, um, I really like it because the, the very first verse has seemingly nothing to do with the Christmas story. It's got nothing to do, it doesn't mention Jesus, it doesn't mention the Bible, it's all about how bad the weather is outside, okay? But then the second verse all of a sudden comes in and it's got um, incredibly powerful lyrics all of a sudden. It says, our God, heaven cannot hold him, nor the earth sustain Heaven and earth will flee away when he comes to reign. And you think, wow, that is the God that we worship. Heaven cannot hold him. And yet he became flesh, became a baby. In fact, nine months before that became a single cell in a lady's womb. Wow. Jesus is God made flesh. Do you know, if you're ever tempted to think that God doesn't care about you, if you're ever tempted to think that God has just, uh, he's made this world and now he's abandoned it or that he's forgotten it or that he doesn't care about the wrong things that happen or he doesn't care about your life, just remember this. The God of heaven became one of us. He became human. He took on flesh. And he did it for a reason. And that's where we come on to our third uh, gift. And I really, at this point, have to warn you, okay, don't go looking in Aldi for myrrh for your new baby brother or sister, okay? Because myrrh is a very unusual gift for a baby. Myrrh is what people used to put on, cover your ears if you're a bit squeamish, okay? Dead bodies. Ugh. Myrrh is what they used to put on dead bodies, I suppose to kind of give a nice smell, uh, but also to kind of slow down the, the rotting. Okay, I'm going to stop being gory now. Um, but you've got myrrh, and they give it to this baby, this substance which is for, for dead people. The wise men knew, in some small way, or perhaps in a very deep way, they knew that that baby was born to die. In a sense, you could say we're all born to die. You know, nobody lives forever. I know that. But in a very special way, this baby was born so that he would die. But not just that. Not just so that he would die. Actually, this baby was born so that he would defeat death. Defeat the human being's greatest enemy. Uh, the Bible talks about three things, maybe there's more than three, but there's three kind of famous ones, three things that are the big enemies of human beings, sin, Satan, and death. 
And everybody understands that death is something that we, ca we can't avoid. We, we can't stop it. It doesn't matter how rich you are or how powerful or how clever. It doesn't matter how many vitamins you eat or how many pieces of fruit you eat a day. Death is the enemy that we cannot stop. Yet Jesus at Christmas came to defeat death. He would live a perfect life. He would live the life that you and me should live, a life of perfect, submissive obedience to the king. And as God, uh, God made flesh, he would be able to do that without any sin in him whatsoever. The sin which goes down so deep in us, that, that sense in us which wants to rebel against God, he had none of that. And he lived that perfect life. And then in his death, he died the death that we should have died, lived the life that we should have lived, died the death that we should have died, and was punished for all of the things that we have done wrong. Think about how unfair that is. When somebody gets released from prison because they've been punished for a crime that they didn't commit, it makes the news, doesn't it? In every now and then you read headlines and say, this man has just been released from prison after 27 years because new DNA evidence proved he didn't do it or whatever. It's terribly unfair. It's an injustice when somebody's punished for something they haven't done. And yet, in this case, Jesus chose that. And God's justice could be satisfied. He was punished for a world's sin. And then, this is the best bit of all, rose from the dead. If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, none of us could say that, uh, that he'd beaten death. Because we'd say, look, he hasn't beaten death, he's dead. But three days after he died, he, he, he walked out of that tomb and rose and showed that death no longer needs to be feared. Death no longer needs to be our enemy because Jesus has uh, lived the perfect life, the life we should have lived. He's died this death, we should have died. And he has risen and vanquished death forever. Those who trust him, uh, those who have faith in what he's done for them, will live forever with him. Death's nothing to be scared of. And there's even verses in the Bible that kind of, they kind of taunt death. Uh, they say, you know, death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? They're kind of saying, death, come on then. What are you going to do? Uh, what, you, you can't hurt me. You can't touch me. Because Jesus has lived and died and risen again. And it had to be. It had to be because of Christmas. God had to become a man because a man had to be punished for man's sins. He had to be a man. And yet he had to be God. He had to have that perfect, righteous life, which can be given and credited to us. Without Christmas, none of it is possible. God becomes flesh and makes it possible for us to know him. And so with that good news in mind, I just want to ask what our response to that is going to be. Because the wise men knew these things, didn't they? When they brought gold and frankincense and myrrh, it wasn't an accident. They knew exactly what they were bringing. And when they reached Jesus, and when they met him, what did they do? Even before they gave him the presents, well, they fell down and worshipped him. They literally fell on the floor in worship of Jesus. And so uh, I just want to ask, what's our response to, um, to Jesus going to be this Christmas? Is it going to be one of indifference, uh, one of... Um, yeah, perhaps even uh, bitterness or, um, or anger at uh, what we hear about Jesus. Or is it the one that says, I'm willing to worship Jesus as the true king. I'm willing to worship Jesus as God made flesh. 
I'm willing this Christmas in, in my singing and in my prayers and in all of those kind of things, I'm willing to worship Jesus as the one who has defeated death on my behalf, the one born to die, the one born so that we can live forever when we confess our sins and thank God for all he's done for us in Jesus. Um, I'm going to pray now, and I'll do that. I'll worship uh, the Lord Jesus like those wise men did um, for the things that we've understood from his presence. Um, And then we'll sing our final hymn. Um, There's no prizes for guessing what the hymn is going to be after what I've just been talking about. Um, But I'll pray first while you figure it out and work out what we're going to sing. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Christmas. Thank you for all of the good things that we can enjoy, time with our families and amazing food and uh, watching um, nativities like this and all of these different things. And God, most of all, we thank you and we worship the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he is the King of Kings. Thank you that he is God. God made flesh. God become one of us. And thank you that he has defeated death on our behalf. That we don't need to fear the future if we know that Jesus has been punished for our sins and offers us life with him forever. We worship him for all that he is and all that he has done. Amen. Amen. Great. Have you worked it out? 